welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer. Jake, welcome back. I believe you and I are going to be on the rest of the way, all the way through the final episode of the season. It is good to be back for this final home stretch, uh, hoping for uh, or hoping to avoid a repeat of last year where we both took an early exit from the playoffs. Yeah, no more scheduled off days the rest of the way. Hopefully no more scheduled off days for my team either. Mm. So Jake, strong week from you last week. You went five and one. Jerwin went three and three. He just had a mediocre week. Um, But let's jump into some specifics from week 16. Give us your first big takeaway. First big takeaway is Jacob DeGrom is just unreal. I mean, I, when he's healthy, he's undisputed. He's the best pitcher in baseball, and I don't know that there's another I don't know there's another starter that's particularly close. Um, watching his start against the Braves, the Dansby Swanson home run, we can take that one out. But otherwise, that was the most dominant pitching performance that maybe I've ever seen it's in a very long time, at least. And uh, it, it's it should be illegal to throw a slider 95.7 miles an hour. And on top of that, I think Eddie put this in the group chat. I think it was Eddie that he got, what was it, 18 swings and misses in a row? Like, that's just, that's unreal. And as long as he's healthy, he's going to be the best pitcher. And that's just the way it is. <laughs> Follow up to that takeaway, Jake. If you are not competing for a championship, would you sell high on Jacob DeGrom in dynasty format right now? Probably. I don't know why you wouldn't. Okay. He's an older pitcher and he's injury prone. Now, let me frame the question to be very specific to you, Jake. You are competing for a championship, presumably, in the dynasty league that we play in together. You also happen to roster Jacob DeGrom in that league. Has the thought crept into your mind? to sell high on him in that position? Uh, not really. Be, uh, I guess I could tell you why. It's, I, I don't think our roster is quite as strong as some of the other ones, but DeGrom is one of the few players that can kind of be the equalizer. Uh, you get him for two starts in a week, and he there's a chance he could outscore the other person's entire rotation, <laughs> quite frankly, and uh, that's – he does a lot to elevate you in the playoff setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I figured as much, and I agree with that. If you're going for it um, and you already have him, I feel like that'd be a vi- like the, the clear answer in a vacuum in Dynasty format right now for DeGrom feels like sell high. But if you're in the specific spot of you're trying to compete to win a championship, that would be very hard to decide against keeping DeGrom. Uh, and that's the spot that you and Jerwin are in. So I was just curious for your thoughts on that. My first big takeaway is a changing of the guard of sorts in the West Division. So over the last four weeks, the once thought to be approaching juggernaut status Jordan has gone 0-4 against the league median. He has not finished in the top half for the top six scores in over a month. While Courtney over that same span has actually gone three and one against the median. So 
Jordan's team cooling off after we thought, you know, it was potentially a top three team. Courtney's team heating up after we thought she was getting left in the, in the dust for not making too many moves. It's just a pretty, pretty interesting change here in my division, the West division. And those are, um, I think those two are at this point completely locked into playing each other in round one. So that'll be interesting to see if that carries into the playoffs here in a few weeks. Jake, what is your second big takeaway? I don't know why I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about relievers. Um, I was just thinking about how I think that for our purposes, uh, being a, since I guess I was thinking about this since we roster so many, um, but I was thinking that relievers in our league to be relevant, it's, I think it's more about opportunity rather than like opportunity and role rather than how talented the reliever actually is. Uh, I, I think that, you get a you get a guy who's on a who's on a good team who gets a lot of opportunities, and that that'll kind of carry over rather than maybe a guy who puts up good ratios. I don't know why I was thinking about that today. It's weird for me to think about relievers who, and uh, not even real good ones at that. But I think maybe evaluating relievers going forward, I was putting more of an emphasis on what the guy's role is in the bullpen rather than how good he actually is. Might be a better way to look at it yeah perfect example is uh the new york yankees right now i know clay holmes hasn't been good recently but he's obviously the better reliever on the year than roldis chapman but it seems like the yankees are going back to chapman for saves and wouldn't you know it clay holmes is on that risky pitching staff over there in the walk institute of research i've noticed that you guys have uh been saying that a lot while I'm off. I think I feel like there's something going on behind the scenes, a little inside joke as to why me and Nick call Jordan's pitching staff risky. Uh, just a little observation there. My second big takeaway is a tale of two opposites. It's it's somewhat similar to the first. It's that as we near the playoffs, two of our likely eight playoff teams are running. Completely opposite temperatures, I guess, similar to the you know the first pair that I mentioned in Jordan and Courtney. It's Nick, who is white hot with a perfect twelve and O record since week ten. Did, week ten ended all the way back on June nineteenth. While JC is ice cold with an ugly as it gets O and twelve record since week ten. Also, so completely opposite. Nick, you know, with an unblemished record, JC has not been able to pick up a win in the last six matchups or the last six weeks. I guess I should be able to figure this out, but I don't know why I'm blanking. Is JC's is he a lock for a playoff spot? I don't remember what his record is off the top of my head. He is not. He is not, and I actually noted that with something that I will briefly share on a little bit later in the episode. So that brings us as a good segue to our wild card our wild card race update and in that number seven spot right now, the first wild card, it is the NFTs JC with a 14 and 18 record right behind him with that second wild card spot. Currently is Brendan ass in the jackpot with a 12 and 20 record. And then really close behind them is Jerwin team positivity with an 11 and 21 record followed by Eddie in 10th place, two spots out of a wild card. He is team gone forever with a 10 and 22 record. Jake, the trades ended last week with the passing of our trade deadline, but we were going to continue the trade talk. Uh, I figured this would be a nice way to kind of transition out the trade segment this year, shut it down for the year, 
but I have two questions that we're each going to give an answer to. The first of which is which single trade do you think will have the largest impact on 2023? So 2023, I, I mean, I was looking at this um, and I guess this is about, this maybe has some what ifs to it, but I, I noticed a notification on Tyler Glass now that he might be coming back uh, in some capacity later this year in a bullpen role. And I, have, I don't know how many, I don't know if he'll get another enough opportunities to get the reliever eligibility, but uh, if Jerwin has him as a spark, I think that would allow him to better leverage his pitcher keepers for next year. And uh, I like his his pitching staff quite a bit with uh, with Cease, Degrom, and all and Glass now. Uh, that's a pretty nasty top three, especially if Glass now gets really eligibility. That trade didn't work out so well for me. I think um, honestly, Merrill Kelly, the throw-in, was has probably been about as good as Kevin Gosman has been, if not better, since I traded him. So that's kind of a bummer for me, but uh, good job good job by Jerwin getting Glassnow there, and a Glassnow spark for next year could be, be a pretty big deal for his, for his title hopes. Ironically, unironically, however you'd like to look at it, you know, we did not discuss this before coming on the air live here. I picked the exact same trade. Jake giving up Tyler Glass now and Merrill Kelly. Jerwin giving up Kevin Gosman and Craig Kimbrell. I was debating between a few late pitchers. Um, Dylan Cease is obviously super high impact pitcher this year, and he's still going to have a great discount next year. Um, also considered, this one might be a little bit surprising, and I ultimately could not choose it over uh, Cease or Glass now, but. You know, he's been, it just speaks to how well he's pitched lately. Reed Detmers in the 17th round, the same round as Glass now, I believe. Uh, Mike might have traded away Anthony Rendon and Zach Plesak or something to get Reed Detmers and I think it was Tyone. That is going to be a very impactful trade because Detmers is becoming a very clear keeper. Um, but again, could not choose it over this trade. I believe that Tyler Glass now. I think we've touched on before the Rays are going to have zero incentive to cap his innings because he's a free agent after next season. So I think they're going to kind of let him loose once he feels comfortable. And I think that he is going to kind of be in that upper echelon with pitchers like Dylan Cease, you know, like Jacob deGrom, the guys that he's going to be on the same fantasy team as. So I also picked this trade to have the largest impact on 2023 from this season. Since we both picked the same one, I'll go ahead and just speak to my honorable mention. And I think this one was interesting. Um, I picked the trade where uh, Mike sent Rodon and Tyone to Brendan and got back Reynolds, Peralta, and Severino in kind of a rare keeper for keeper trade. And I, th I think this one would fit the Bills having high impact for next year because it's two guys who, in theory, as sellers, should both be in good positions heading into next year. And uh, I'm assuming neither one of them did this thinking that they got the shorter end. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see who was actually right and which side is, uh, is going to come out ahead for next season. Yeah, that's a good point. That, is, that was a pretty big, uh, long or far-reaching implications trade. Speaking of uh, a trade that will be interesting to see who was right on, 
the single trade that I predict to have the largest impact on playoffs, Jake, is you giving up Justin Verlander in Juan Soto and Sam giving you Corbin Burns. Um, I think in general, this is probably the most high-stakes, super-elite, first-round caliber-type players to move in any one single deal, if I'm not mistaken, this year. But for it to also be an exchange between two teams who are, I believe at this point, completely locked into playing each other in the first round, I think that that kind of paves the way for this to be the obvious choice, at least for me, uh, in terms of trade that would have the largest impact on the playoffs. Because I think Nick has a very good team. Um, We're going to kind of unveil our main segment next here, but I think whoever wins this matchup is going to have a very strong chance to make a championship appearance. And so I think that this trade obviously is going to have a pretty major impact on said matchup, which is why, again, I chose it as the trade that I think will have the largest impact on the playoffs. Which trade did you pick for this? So I didn't pick this trade because I thought I anticipated you picking it because this was kind of <laughs> this was the, the bigger one. Um, so I didn't, I, I thought, well, I picked a less obvious one for the first one. So there's probably, he's probably not going to pick the same one there. Let's, let's keep that up. But, uh, I chose, I went in a little bit of a different direction. I chose, I chose Eddie giving up, uh, Garcia Scherzer and Andrew Vaughn and Sam giving up John Gray, Chris Sale, well, not John Gray, Josiah Gray, Chris Sale and Corey Seager. And the reason I picked that one, um, Eddie, I, I was also in contention for Max Scherzer. And I know that you were, and I know that Nick was. And that's basically, I mean, I guess, you no know, disrespect to Jordan or Courtney. I guess they didn't really have, well, Courtney doesn't trade. Jordan didn't have any ammunition left at this point. But those were really, that's like Sam's primary competition, essentially the entire way based on, like he, he won Scherzer over all of his other playoff contenders. Uh, so I said that this one would have a higher impact on this year because not only is Scherzer joining Sam's team, he's keeping Scherzer away from everybody else who he could have played and could have gotten it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think in that way that 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 will have a very high impact on the playoffs because, as we know, a good starting pitcher can swing can totally swing a matchup, and Sam got probably a top three guy and kept that that same said top three guy away from everyone else. Yeah, I think we've touched on this um, at least once, maybe a couple times throughout the year, but I think a very underrated part of landing a big trade is kind of the keep away factor from your competition. And there's a scenario, I'm not, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but there's a scenario where the other three parties involved for Max Scherzer, you just mentioned them, myself, you, and Nick, could be Sam's exact path to a potential championship. So it's possible that not only did he add to his team, but that's a big swing. You know, if you think about the potential of Max Scherzer on Jake's team against Sam in round one, not only is Max Scherzer not on Jake's team against Sam in round one, he's on Sam's team helping against Jake. And then you do that same kind of thought process over again with if you know Nick and Sam win, then it'll be Sam versus Nick. It'll be the same thing. Sam will, or Max Scherzer will be helping 
Sam against Nick as opposed to Scherzer helping Nick against Sam. And again, same thing over again if if you know Sam and I were to potentially meet in the championship. So very underrated aspect of trading and specifically deadline trading when you're competing with your fellow buyers or your fellow playoff competitors. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a great selection as well. Our main segment this week, Jake, uh, since you guys pretty much touched on all the sellers or most of the teams that will not make playoffs last week, I thought that we could kind of do the flip side and focus on our playoff teams for this week's main segment. So this is going to be our official playoff bracket predictions, kind of split it up between the East and the West. So we will save the championship for last. We'll go with round one in the East then round one in the West, and then we'll go to the semifinals all the way to the championship. These are not only who we predict to win in each round, but also the actual matchups that we're predicting. And, and we can even, at least the way that I did it, was I'm predicting the seeds for each round as well. So, Jake, for round one in the east side of the bracket, who are your matchups and who are you predicting to win? Okay, so the east side of the bracket, I have Nick against JC and me against Sam. And uh, I'm picking Nick to win, and I'm picking myself to win. Now, important, or I don't want to say important, but uh, a nuanced distinction that I want to make clear in these predictions is, are you predicting that JC is the eighth and final wild card? Or are you predicting that he is the first wild card and thereby Nick would finish as, I guess, the number two overall team for the regular season? So I think Nick will stick at number one. Um, I guess I'm just kind of playing the percentages for that, really. You, your team is the only other one that's going to catch him. And you're likely going to play the final week. So you will have, to, you will have that head-to-head aspect. I guess by playing the percentages, he's already two games ahead of you. I think he's. I think he still has you in total points. So I'm. I mean, I, you could be very easily do it. I just. I guess I'm just going with the more likely outcome. Uh, even if Nick, even if you do beat Nick head to head, he still needs to lose to the median for you to actually jump him. Mm-hmm. Now I want to ask you. I want to ask you who you have jumping JC, but I will ask you to speak to your prediction of JC dropping at least one spot from where he is currently, but still nabbing that last playoff spot? Um, I mean, I don't know how to speak to it without, without giving uh, spoilers, but I, I have Brendan jumping him um, and Jerwin being the one left out. Uh, I guess I just think that I, I like Brendan's roster more than JC's, frankly. Um, I mean, I, I, I know that I talked about this a little bit last week, but JC kind of drew a short straw with some of his underperformers or elite players getting hurt. And uh, now that he's decided to be a seller, um, I think that Brendan just has more high-end talent. Uh, And like you said earlier, JC has been ice cold, but I don't know that that's, despite that, I don't know that that's quite enough for for Jarwin to, to actually jump him because I believe he's not only behind him in the in the standings, but um, he's also behind him in total points as well. So I don't know that Jerwin is going to be able to make up three games and jump him in total points. To, well, he's not going to jump him in total points. The gap's too wide, but I don't know 
know that he's going to be able to make up three games. Yeah, another thing that's interesting to note um, on that is that Jerwin plays Jordan this week. JC plays Scott this week. And then Jerwin and JC, I think, have the potential to play each other next week. But I think currently, as things stand, JC is lined up to play... He's actually currently lined up to play Jerwin. So it could come down to next week's rivalry week interdivision matchups, which is really interesting. But I actually agree with the two wild cards that you predicted, but I don't have them in the same order. My round one for the east side of the bracket is number one seed in the east division, Freedom All Stars versus the second wild card, Brendan, ass in the jackpot. And then I, of course, have sam versus you in the in the other matchup in the east division i not that it really matters but i predicted that sam will lock down the number two seed in the east you'll lock down the number three seed my winners for the first round are nick and sam so i have the top two seeds in the division coming out victorious in the first the first round let's move over to the west side of the bracket jake um i guess i will kick us off Obviously, I have the top seed in the West Division locked down. And since I mentioned that Brendan is my second wild card and JC was the other one, that would mean that I will be playing, or my prediction is that I will be playing JC the, the first wild card in the first round. And I have number two seed in the West Division, Courtney, playing number three seed, Jordan. My winners for this matchup, or for these matchups, are my team and Jordan's team. What did you have for round one in the West Division? I have you and I have Courtney. Although I will say that I do think Brendan will be a pretty tough first round opponent. Just his tradition. Oh, I agree. And Jake, that's why I'm making a live announcement. I've already told Nick. But I'm not playing for the number one overall seed in the league. I am playing to mirror where I believe JC will finish. Because JC is a much softer matchup, no offense JC, but a much softer round one matchup than Brendan's team. Uh, for sure Brendan's team, but even a softer matchup than Jerwin's team with him now having a healthy DeGrom. I've told Nick this already. I said even if it comes down to me benching my lineup against you in the final week of the regular season, I will do it. I play smart, I don't play hard. So I am gunning for a first round matchup with JC. I think that... Uh, the keys are kind of in my hands, but the kind of quirk or the the curveball thrown at me is that JC doesn't have not even a playoff spot locked up, let alone a wild card spot. So I'm going to kind of have to make predictions based on how I believe JC's team is going to perform in terms of setting my lineup. So that'll be interesting. So I guess that would make your semifinals. I believe you said Nick and your team. Is that correct on the east side? That is correct. Um, and for me, it would be Nick and Sam. And then in the West, you had me and Courtney. I have me and Jordan. So, you, you know, both you and I are picking Nick's team to win the first round matchup, his first round matchup, and my team to win mine. But we differ on the other two. So you have your team coming out. I have Sam's. Um, you have Courtney's team coming out. I have Jordan's. So give me your prediction for the East semifinals, Jake's prediction of Nick versus Jake. Who is the winner going to the championship representing the East side of the bracket? 
I think it's going to be Nick. Um, he's been pretty consistent all year. Um, my team has been very up and down. Uh, I think I, he, he even took kind of my, my team's best punch um, during the extended week. Uh, well, my team's best punch except for AJ Minter. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that it'll be Nick. He's been very consistent, and, and that's frankly what you want for a two-week matchup. So in my matchup of Nick versus Sam, I have Sam coming out as the winner, representing the east side of the bracket in the championship. I think that the the rotation is going to be a little too much to handle, whereas I've noticed that Nick is kind of still on a weekly basis playing the matchups with not just one, but like a couple of his rotation spots. He has a very good team, and I'm not saying that he cannot win this matchup, but I think when you're in a spot where you're kind of playing the matchups with multiple rotation spots and going up against a, a team potentially that boasts Scherzer, Woodruff, uh, Corbin Burns, and Garrett Cole. Well, I guess he traded Corbin Burns to you, but got no less of a pitcher back in Verlander and Garrett Cole. I think that that spells a little bit of a trouble, and that's going to be really tough to overcome in a two-week matchup. So I got Sam representing the east side in the championship. Jumping over to the west... I predicted me versus Jordan. You predicted me versus Courtney. Who do you have representing the West in the championship this year? I think you finally avenged the 2018 playoff loss and prevail over Courtney. I have the same prediction, but not over Courtney. I have me schooling Jordan once again and heading to the championship uh, to get back there after I, you know, was I failed to get there last year, but was there the year before, I think, against you. So trying to make a redemption run at the title this year, I have my team over Jordan's, which would mean that in the finals, you have the injuries boys matching up uh, me versus Nick, and I have me versus Sam. So, Jake, are you picking Nick? to come out of the gate and win his first two seasons um, being the league champion, ever playing fantasy baseball, or are you uh, predicting me to finally get over the hump this year? I think this is finally your year. Um, I, I like your team a lot. I think it's, I mean, I, I guess this is going to come off as flattery for my own teams, but your team reminds me most of my championship teams in the past um specifically going back to 2020 i had a lot of a lot of good sparks and um i was kind of able to have a volume advantage on everyone that i played that way uh plus a, the elite rotation to go along with it pretty a lot of kind of thumpers on offense it's it's a real i think that's how you win these extended matchups is you are able to just completely overwhelm your opponent with with volume and quality volume and I think that your team is very well equipped to do that. Um, so I have your team. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to contradict a little bit of what I spoke to between the matchup uh, of Nick and Sam, because I still do believe that Sam has a, a team that is built for extended matchups. He's going to be a very tough out in any two-week uh, playoff matchup. But I think this is finally the year for me. Uh, I will say I am a, ever so slightly nervous. Now that Clayton Kershaw is out and, you know, doesn't have a timetable to return, 
that does make me a little bit nervous, but it's not like Kershaw was my staff ace. I, he was an important contributor, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't say I lost like my SP1 or even potentially my SP2. I think maybe he was in the running for that, but uh, essentially I guess what I'm saying is I think I have the pieces to kind of make up for that loss. Although it does make me slightly nervous, I still think that my team finally gets over the hump and, and I'm able to to claim the gold this year. I know you're not supposed to pick yourself in things like this, but uh, this is not a confidence pick or a flattering myself pick. This is truly how I think uh, the playoffs are going to unfold this year. So I'm excited. I think for the first time in a couple years, we have probably four teams. I mean, and no disrespect to the other four teams, but four teams who I would say... They have a more likely than not chance at winning the championship. I don't know if the you know the math checks out on that, Jake. You're the it's stats guy. It's just I, I I don't know. I okay. Let me let me break it down out of a hundred. I think that there is a ninety five percent chance that one of four teams, those four being me, Nick, Sam, and your team, Jake. I think there's a ninety five percent chance the title goes to one of those four teams. 5% chance to, I guess, the rest of the field. So I think in years past, we've really just had two juggernauts basically each year kind of entering the playoffs or, or entering the championship, kind of reaching the championship. So I'm excited to see how this playoff bracket unfolds. Um, really could go a plethora of ways here. Matchup preview. Jake, what is your thing to watch for? Uh, so my thing to watch for actually once I, I just can't get this. I can't get this out of my head. Uh, I now want to see Jacob DeGrom fully stretched out because he only threw what, like 75 pitches last time. I want to see if he actually has enough. Whereas if Jerwin does get in the playoffs, it is DeGrom enough to actually elevate the rest of his roster and be a threat to one of the top two teams. That's kind of what I want to see. Yeah, my my thing to watch for is just having all eyes on the wild card race. We have alluded to it or, or briefly touched on it. With just two weeks left in the season, only six teams have clinched playoff berths, which means not just one, but both of our wild card spots have yet to be locked up. And again, not just in the sense of like, hey, JC has locked up a playoff spot. We just don't know which wild card he will be yet. Uh, but there is actually a world where JC can still miss playoffs. If he goes 0-4, and the two guys behind him, uh, Brendan and Jerwin, both jump in front of him by having strong uh, last two weeks. There's again, there's a world where JC completely misses playoffs after he seemed to be very comfortably in. I believe he was 15 and 13 at a certain point, and now he is sitting at 14 and 18. So very tough break for JC over the past number of weeks. Um, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how this week leading up to the last plays out matchup predictions jake thank you for giving me a shout out on last week's episode for finally getting to 500 my record is 30 30 and 30 jake you're having a pretty good year after the start that that you had not as bad as mine but it was not great your your record now is 41 and 25 and the guest uh you know they're having a pretty good year they almost have as many losses as you they have just one more at 26 
but they have a whopping 17 more wins. That is the combined record of the guest, 58 and 26. They're crushing it this year. For our first matchup of the week, Freedom All-Stars versus Ass in the Jackpot, a team that doesn't need to win to, to, to change their destiny against a team that absolutely does need to win to kind of chip away at locking up a playoff spot. Who do you have in this do-or-die matchup for Brendan? Uh, I picked Brendan in this one. Really? Yeah, why not? I need to get some, I need to, well, I guess originally I thought there was going to be a guest on this episode and I figured they would pick Nick. So it was partially to uh, go against them, but that didn't. Well, I will say that when I was going through the matchups, I noticed that Brendan must not really want it that bad because he left a middle of the IL stint Ross Stripling in his lineup to take a complete zero. And the other thing, <clears throat> which this isn't necessarily fair to pick, you know, the matchup based on, and I didn't, but I just noticed it now as I'm looking at the matchup. Tanner Houck just got placed on the IL. So that's two pitchers in his bullpen that are completely missing and, you know, taking a zero in those lineup spots. Brendan, you're not doing yourself any favors, man. You you elected to take a zero for Ross Stripling. He was placed on the injured list last Wednesday. I'm not really sure uh, what Brendan's doing there, but I picked Nick. I I think that the the Ross Stripling lineup spot really just kind of put me off to picking Brendan's team. I was considering it because Brendan does have a good team, like Jordan Alvarez, Dansby Swanson, Adley Rutschman, Trey Mancini now with the Astros. I like that. Anthony Santander has been very good. And Brendan's pitching staff is honestly pretty damn good. Rodon, Musgrove, McKenzie, Johnny Cueto has been really good for like the last two months. And his bullpen, if fully healthy, is not too bad. Uh, but again, I think it needed to kind of all be there for me to predict the upset, and it wasn't, so I picked Nick's, uh, Nick's team to win this matchup. I did not see Russ Stripling on the IL. Hashtag research. Shame on Brendan. And shame on you for not researching. In the research matchup, we have Team Positivity versus the Walk Institute of Research. Another matchup where Jordan has punched his ticket. He knows who his first round opponent is going to be. He can't change the side of the bracket that he's on. So he is just coasting into the playoffs at this point against a team that absolutely does need to win to punch their ticket. Jerwin, who do you got in this matchup, George, uh, Jake? I picked Jordan in this one. I picked Jerwin to get it done. Don't tell me I'm not positive on this podcast, Jerwin. I am putting my faith in you. Like I said, Jordan is ice cold over the past four weeks. I think you're able to get it done this week, especially with Jacob deGrom presumably pitching more than or throwing more than 75 pitches. So third matchup of the week, Big Money Mike versus Team C. Deemer. This matchup has zero implications on the playoffs because Mike is eliminated and Courtney again is locked in to her opponent and side of the bracket. Who do you have winning this one? I have Courtney in this one. I also have Courtney. The next matchup does have some playoff implications. It is Scott versus JC. JC, of course, needs to win to kind of punch his ticket. I believe if he goes 2-0, he does clinch a playoff spot heading into the last week. So that's what he really needs. I am predicting him to win this matchup. 
uh, to be determined whether he'll go 0-2. Who do you have in this one? I'm going against you again. I have Scott. Interesting. So you think Scott contributes to the effort of knocking JC down to that second wild card? I do. I mean, I also kind of need this for my playoff uh, scenario to work because <laughs> uh, presumably Jero and JC would play each other next week, and that's when I would have uh, JC clinch. Ah. In the fifth matchup of the week, you guys are, again, zero playoff implications because you guys are locked into your side of the bracket and into playing each other. So we're basically getting a round one preview here. We got Jake's fantasy baseball team versus weak pullout hitter. Jake, I have Sam winning this matchup. A little uh, preview of things to come for my predictions of the playoff bracket. Who do you have winning? I went the other way for the exact same reasons. All right. And in the last matchup of the week, we have Demons in the infield versus Gone Forever. I suppose there are some slight playoff implications here. I know we haven't mentioned Eddie, but I believe with a perfect 4-0 finish that he still can get into the playoffs. And uh, we've already touched on this as well, but there is still technically a running between first overall seed and second overall seed between me and Nick. Uh, You know, kind of impacts which side of the bracket the wild cards are going to get into, right? Because the second wild card is going to get into the side of the bracket with the best team in the league. The second wild, or I'm sorry, the first wild card is going to get into the side of the bracket with the second best team in the league. So not just implications for me and Nick, but actually implications into which team we're going to suck into our side of the bracket. I got my team winning. Who do you have, Jake? I do have the same pick here. All right. For our Around the League portion of the podcast, Jake, kick us off with your League History Fact of the Week. So this one is kind of an extension of Jerowin's History Fact last week where he touched on uh, Spencer Strider's performance last year. But, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of an extension. So I went in and looked at our worst performers for this year. Um, I don't know. You're probably not going to guess it. But do you, would you have a guess as to who is the lowest scoring player of this year? Overall, like uh, owned, Overall. And, owned and unowned? Yes. Assume, assuming that there's like a playing time minimum, right? Like, I guess you're probably talking about a player who has scored negative points. I'm just going to throw it out there. Patrick Corbin. No, but that would have been a good guess. Um, the Actually, the lowest scoring is, I don't know if you remember him from last year. He was kind of a uh, hopeful spark. Carlos mm-hmm. Hernandez of the Kansas City Royals with a whopping negative 36 and a half points on the year. Good grief. Where's Patrick Corbin? Is he anywhere close? As far as I know, he is not in the top 10, but I do not see him here. I can tell you who's, no, who's right behind him with uh, negative, well, I guess right ahead of him with negative 34. Who's Dallas. that? Who is it? Dallas Keuchel. Dallas Keuchel, and I don't see any other names that I know in this list of the bottom 12, except Brayan Bellow, who's a hyped pitching prospect for the Red Sox coming into this year, and Jared Eikhoff, who pitched for the Pirates at one or two points this year. Oh, just one. He just made one start this year, and it was pretty awful. Pretty interesting. That is a fun fact. You know, Carlos Hernandez is a great SPARP. In worst ball format, 
we were, I mean, we were actually talking about your pick, um, Patrick Corr. So when we did this, this league last year, the, the guys who really stuck out were kind of those the older veterans on bad teams that they would just keep throwing back out there, especially pitchers that they just ran out there every five days and would just get absolutely crushed every single time. And like we were looking this year, like Patrick Corbin would just be a worst ball God. If, if we played that, I mean, the dude just gets shellacked for like six or seven runs every time that he takes, he takes the runner. And that is just the most valuable player you can have um, in worst ball. I think I read this week that he is on pace to finish with the worst ERA in Major League Baseball among qualified pitchers. And he's being paid, I think, uh, you know, he's not owed from this point forward, but the total contract that he signed, I think, was worth $150 million. Talk about stealing. I mean, I guess at least he's not a hurt like Strasburg or like Chris Sale. But, you know, when a guy is healthy, you cannot be any worse than Patrick Corbin has been this year. News and notes to wrap up the episode. I know this is a little bit of a shorter one, but Jake and I are just kind of settling our way back in, you know, for this next run of, I think it's like five or so episodes until the end of the year. Fernando Tatis Jr. finally, you know, on our first, I guess, playoff preview episode, we're finally talking about this guy making a debut. It feels like it's been forever. I remember back at the beginning of the season, you know, he was expected to play just a couple weeks into I think actually maybe opening day and then the news broke that he broke his wrist and then it was maybe late May or maybe June 1st. And here we are on August 9th and we're finally talking about this guy making an MLB season debut. He began a rehab assignment at double a and he could be activated to the Padres major league club by this weekend. Jake, what is your official on the record expectations for Fernando Tatis for the rest of this season? Once he gets up with the Padres. 3.1 points per game. So you still think he's going to be a star? I think he'll be more like, I guess, I think he'll be more really good than the least. I think his speed will kind of carry a little bit because even if the power goes, he still at least has the speed element. Uh, But yeah, I, I still am a little weary about the wrist. And he's just been out so long that it might take him a little time to, to get his timing back. You sound like you're making a conservative prediction, but let's put this into context. Juan Soto, who we were talking about as the number one player in the format, is averaging 3.17 points per game. You're, average, you're predicting Tatis to, to just be a half step behind him. I think that's, okay, that's pretty lofty. That 3.7 points per game. 2.7, okay, I can get behind that. I don't really have a prediction myself. I, you know, we've already talked about what we expect, me, Nick, and Mike. I was just curious what your take was. Chris Bryant has been wearing a walking boot on his injured left foot since landing on the injured list on October, sorry, August 1st, and he is without a timetable for return. As a percentage, Jake, state the chance that Chris Bryant has at making a fantasy impact, let's say before the third week of September. I think that's pretty deep in our playoffs. I don't really know a whole lot about his injury or it's severe. I was under the impression this was going to be a shorter IL stint because I thought that this was something that he was just managing for a while and they, it just got to be too much. They were kind of giving, giving him one of those maintenance stints. I had no idea it was this severe until I saw it in the notes of the, 
of the podcast, which I guess shows how much I pay attention to some of my players. <laughs> yeah, planner fasciitis is a very, I mean, see, take serious as you will, but it's it's a pretty huge deal in terms of sports injuries. Uh, I've seen it more often than not wipe out guys entire seasons and like like nick and i played fantasy basketball for a season and we had a a pretty big stud player i think he was like a third round pick he got plantar fasciitis just over halfway into the season and he never returned not even for the real life nba playoffs so i think it's a i think it's a pretty big deal in the sports world i guess i'm kind of leading the question here um yeah i don't I, i don't expect Chris Bryant to make any impact for the rest of the fantasy season. It sounds pretty bad. Clayton Kershaw was placed on the injured list with low back pain and received an epidural shot after an MRI showed no new injury. Jake, why the hell is he getting an epidural shot if he has no new injury? I have no idea. I mean, I know that they're going to be extra cautious with the lower back since that's been ever since what, like 2016 is when he initially injured his back that's mm-hmm. a recurring thing and uh, i think anytime there's any sort of lower back issue with kershaw the dodgers are going to have to be very cautious with them would you say um of injuries that were not known coming into the season or you know we can even exclude injuries that happened say back in april and may because those are early season there was a lot of time to adjust so i'm kind of just you know picking up at the beginning of the summer would you say that this is the most harmful injury in terms of impact to our fantasy playoff teams? Like I'm trying to kind of uh, get you in the mindset of like, think about, I guess, some of the injured players or recent injuries to players on teams that are going to make the playoffs in our fantasy league. Can you think of a bigger impact than Kershaw? Um, probably not. I mean, maybe, maybe Tim Anderson for Courtney's teams because of the, I, I know that you have depth behind Kershaw. So Maybe you can lessen the hit a little more than Courtney can with with Anderson, but Kershaw's for sure the, the most talented player um, out of the bunch, I would say. Yeah, Tim Anderson is very fresh injury. I actually prepped uh, our podcast here before the news came out on that earlier today. I guess another one that I'm just perusing Courtney's roster, not even I guess, but it just feels like it was so long ago, even though it was you know a little ways into the summer, but Bryce Harper breaking his thumb at the end of June. Uh, I just, I'm reading the kind of blurb on him right now. It says that he has not regained much flexibility in his thumb and he's not ready to face pitchers yet. That's not a good sign. That's, that is a bigger blow than Kershaw. Uh, but it's kind of teetering the line between old news, time to adjust, you know, and not with it being at the end of June. But yeah, I, I, wasn't, I, already, I wasn't bringing, I wasn't really considering him as part of this exercise, but I would agree yeah, with you. Sure. Yeah, I, I kind of hinted on it earlier, but I'm a little, just a little bit nervous about Kershaw's injury because I would much prefer to start him to a Sonny Gray or a Miles Michaelis or like this week's um, lineup. I, I pulled Spencer Strider up to my rotation and put Justin Steele in to the bullpen. I don't mind doing that. Like I can put Daniel Bard, who's been awesome, uh, into my bullpen, but would prefer just for the volume advantage to have Strider and Nestor both in the bullpen. So, you know, I think that my team has the depth to handle it, but it puts a little bit more pressure on me to make the correct lineup decision because I am now going to have to play the matchups every week 
Whereas before I would only sit one of my pitchers if they had a glaringly bad obvious or, you know, obviously bad, uh, you know, slate for the week. Like for example, one start at Coors Field, you know, that would be the only time that I'd probably bench, you know, one of my top five starting pitchers before. Now I actually have a little bit of pressure to make the decision. We'll see. Final piece of news, Jake, you, uh, kind of hit on the tip of the iceberg here earlier, but glass now has not been ruled out for the remainder of the 2022 season. He still has a few important hurdles to clear before getting the green light, but he's looked pretty strong in recent side sessions, according to reports and the Tampa Bay Rays are entertaining the idea of a 2022 return. Pitching coach Kyle Snyder said the chance is not zero. Let's say that much. It's pretty remarkable just to see where he is End quote. Tyler Glass now has been throwing off of a mound for more than a month now, and Kyle Snyder mentioned that he is throwing 98 to 99 miles per hour, so basically sitting at where he was pre-injury, and he's successfully executing his breaking pitches. That's the big piece, you know, in a recovery from Tommy John. Despite this, he would still need to see significant action in the minors, pitching against live hitters before gaining clearance to return, even to a bullpen roll. So Jake, I won't ask you about Tyler Glass now since you shared specifically on him earlier, but to kind of put this into context with some of the other big name stars who are injured, and I actually just forgot to mention him completely in the Kershaw segment, rank these guys in terms of likelihood to make a fantasy impact for the rest of 2022. Mike Trout, who was the guy that I missed, Tyler Glass now, Chris Bryant, Clayton Kershaw, rank those guys in terms of most likely to make a fantasy impact the rest of this year. Boy, um, <laughs> again, these are Trout, Glass, now Bryant, Kershaw. Uh, I guess I'll go Kershaw one, maybe, maybe Trout two. Although he has not made nearly as much progress as you would hope, his injury kind of seems like it might be a, a lingering one. I guess I'll go Glass now three because we're not even. Sure. I mean, at least Trout, it sounds like he's going to come back. Last now, we're, seems like it's up in the air. Um, and then I'll go Bryant last because Bryant wouldn't make the most, Bryant wouldn't make the elite impact those other guys would make, anyways. Yeah. I, I like my first instinct is to say I'm surprised you're picking Kershaw one to make the impact with the, you know, the recurring chronic back injury. But then when you consider the other pieces, like there's no good choice here. <laughs> Mike Trout seems to have his own chronic injury or it's, it's new, but it's, you know, it's been reported as this is going to affect him potentially every year. Now glass now recovering from Tommy John, they're going to ease him up. And then Chris Bryant, we've already talked about. That's not a good injury to have. So it'll be interesting. I, I guess the, the field would probably win here, meaning, you know, it's, it's probably most likely that none of these guys make a major fantasy impact rest of the way. But I was just curious to see if you thought, any of them had a good chance or, you know, if they all had an equal same kind of ballpark chance, which it sounds like you, you believe that they do and it's not a good one. So I guess this is slightly off topic, but if, um, if glass now did return and he did gain spark eligibility in a redraft format with our same points system, what round would you say that he gets drafted? I would probably, so, okay, let me welcome you into the mind of Nate. When we're 
a season away or an off season away from entering the draft room, I think I typically am more conservative about the grades that I give on to players. Like, uh, oh, that's a first round player. That's a second round player. I usually, I feel like, default to track record. Then as we near draft season, I think I really start to put into context what specific players can mean to your team's roster construction. And I think Glass now is one of those guys that traditionally, you know, traditional Nate would say, I think, you know, coming off of injury, he hasn't pitched in a year and a half. He's probably a fifth round player. But then I think when I would actually consider, okay, what would I pay to have Tyler Glass now on my team come draft day? So that leads me to my real answer, trying to kind of break the thought process of traditional Nate. I'd say you'd probably get drafted in the third round. I'm thinking something a little like third, fourth round is what I would probably have him. Just the, uh, I think all things equal, um, even though Verlander's older, uh, I'm just using Verlander because he was kind of in a similar situation coming back this year. Um, Verlander was probably the the better pick, and I mean we can say that without the benefit, without seeing what Verlander's done this year, because he's. I mean they they're both going to have the, uh, I guess the no restrictions thing where the teams won't be really have where they won't really have any motivation to to hinder them. But I think in Glasnow's case, he's proven to not be as durable as Verlander was, and Verlander was a little farther out. So I, I think that he was, and I guess that we could also say the last we saw Verlander was better than the last we saw Glassnow. But I, I think that um, I think that Glassnow would get drafted probably the third or fourth round in this, and just it, with our group of guys, I think he would get drafted in the third or fourth. So we agree again. That wraps up this 18th episode of the best player wins fantasy baseball podcast for the 2022 season. Jake, anything to share with the people? We're going to have plenty of opportunity to share over this, over the next month or so, but anything to say before we leave this one? Uh, no, I, I, I saved my monologues for when I'm the host. So, cause I, so I can open with them. Beautiful. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be uh, back with you again next week. I believe we might, might, have Brendan on next week. He kind of express expressed some interest about coming on one more time. And of course, probably makes sense to do a regular season episode. Um, so we'll catch you on the next one. And again, thanks for listening. Yerk.